0: MCTV. The following presentation of the Midland City Council will begin in a moment.
1: The Midland City Council is the city's legislative body that sets policies,
2: approves budgets, determines tax rates, and adopts ordinances and resolutions to govern the city. It is made up of five elected officials that represent the wards in which they reside, and councilmen are elected to two-year terms. The mayor is elected from among the council members by vote of the City Council. City Council meetings are held at 7 p.m.
0: two Mondays per month in council chambers at City Hall. This presentation is provided by the MCTV Network, a service of the City of Midland. Replays of this meeting can be
1: found on MGTV Channel 188 on Charter Spectrum, through Channel 99 on ATT Uverse, or on demand at www.cityofmidlandmi.gov. Select meetings are available on MCTV Network's Government Affairs podcast channel. Good
3: evening and welcome to our special July 7th, 2022 meeting of City Council and the Planning Commission. And this is really, Planning
4: Commission is taking the lead on this, I'm gonna turn it over to Mr. King. Thank you, Madam Mayor, good evening. Uh, thank you everyone for joining us tonight. This presentation uh, is brought to you as part of the Midland uh, Master Plan process, Midland City Modern, and I believe tonight's presentation by Urban 3 is going to be one that's very thought provoking and conversation provoking. A big part of what we'll uh, be learning about tonight is some of the ways that urban growth and development patterns interrelate with city revenues and the city budget and our ability as a local government to provide services to our residents. Um, And I, I think. It's going to stimulate the conversation as we move forward into the next phases of our city modern process on how we can leverage some opportunities that exist in the city of midland uh, for development and redevelopment that are going to bring value um, both to placemaking in the community but also to our coffers so that we're able to maintain and hopefully continue to increase the outstanding quality of life uh, here in the city of midland so i'm not going to steal any of the thunder from our presenter tonight because he's got a really incredible presentation prepared to share with us um, but i do want to introduce him so joseph metakazi is the principal of urban three prior to creating urban three he served as the executive director of the ashfield downtown association joe is an urban planner imagining new ways to think about and visualize land use urban design and economics joe founded urban three to explain and visualize market dynamics created by tax and land use policies uh, joe has a bachelor of architecture degree from the university of miami and a Master of Architecture and Urban Design degree from Harvard University. In 2017, Joe was recognized as one of the 100 most influential urbanists of all time. So we're fortunate to have him here tonight with us. So we'll turn things over to you, Joe.
1: Thanks for having me. Thanks for that introduction. Um, Let me see if I can share screen. And y'all can hear me all right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, great. Okay. Um, So, our company is known for uh, sort of a large-scale economics of cities. This is an economic model of of Auckland, New Zealand. But I'll get into your numbers and your data. Uh, but before I go there, I want to tell maybe a little bit of a story of, of why we do this and how we got there. Um, I live in Asheville, North Carolina. Did, did someone have a question or? That's a little tinted. I don't know if we can do anything
5: about that.
6: I just, I just adjusted the volume a little bit. Okay, cool
1: um yeah it looks kind of pink actually but um we'll see how it goes from here Um, but so Asheville was a city that was the second largest city of North Carolina by the time the depression hit and then we basically fell flat on our face and we're the highest debt per capita of the entire United States and it took us a while to recover Uh, in the 1990s we had all of these boarded up and empty buildings and our attitude was we don't care about our downtown. Let's just move past that. The market has changed, if you will. Um, I worked for this guy's company, Public Interest Projects. It's a for-profit real estate development company and de- based in downtown Asheville. And basically, Julian inherited a bunch of money and put fifteen million dollars into a for-profit real estate development company. Seventy-five percent of that money was spent on fixing buildings, and twenty-five percent was starting businesses. So we would take buildings like this and pull off that aluminum screen and find this old hotel and fix it and turn it into, into housing. Um, so what we're doing is essentially rehabbing buildings, putting in a bookstore downstairs. But what we found ourselves also uh, doing was having a conversation with our community. Why does it matter? What's the data that, that moves forward in the community and how does it matter to you all? Um, it, to making a decision. So if you step back and look at land, like the way a farmer looks at land, a farmer is gonna look at land like water per acre, labor per acre, et cetera. So here's a building that we rehabbed. It's a uh, six story old JC Penney's building. Um, we put in ground floor retail, second floor office, and upper stories residential. The city did a streetscape project, thank you city, for the garbage can, the bike rack, two benches and a street tree. Um, that's money that the city put in. Um, we took the building's taxable value from, $300,000 to $11 million, which represents a 3,500% increase in taxes. So let me put it a different way. Do, do you have a 401 plan that grows by 3,500%? This is community wealth, go out and buy 3,500% more garbage cans, we don't care. And the crazy thing was the resistance that people had in the community, that they would say, well, Joe, that's cute and everything, but we got this Walmart over here that's $20 million of tax value. And, okay, fair enough, that's double the value of our building. But it took 34 acres of our farm to make that happen versus uh, 0.2 acres of our building. So it's really an apples and oranges argument. If you look at the taxes per acre, we're producing 100 times more taxes per acre, double the retail taxes per acre, um, obviously more residents um, than, than they have, and um, more jobs. So when you look at things apples to apples, we're producing way more stuff for our community, actually, let me go back, sorry. Um, I'm, I'm trying to watch the screen on, on your screen. It looks like there's a little bit of a lag, so I'm trying to keep up with it. Um, but when you stack the data side by side, you can see that how we're producing more wealth and more, um, more revenue for our community. And you know, th- this, isn't com- this isn't complicated math that we're doing here. I'm doing fifth grade mathematics as, as productivity of, of land. So I'll put it another way. If if, if we're talking about cars, we don't, we don't talk about the, the miles per tank of a car. We don't say, well, my Ford F-150 goes 650 miles per tank. You understand how silly that is because every tank is a different size. So instead we say miles per gallon and, and the numbers change and we should all be driving BMW Assetas at 70 miles per gallon. So this is how we do productivity of cars. We should be doing the same thing about our, our buildings and our land use because we have to realize that the city is finite. Your county is way more finite. You can't, your county can't annex the next county over. So how you manage your land is is critically important to your, to your financial success in your community. So as a real estate developer, if we're doing this, you need to be doing this as a city as well. Because if you look up the word incorporate in the Oxford American Dictionary, um, it says, in the bottom of the slide here to constitute a company, I said the other organization is a legal corporation. So by law, you're incorporated, the county's incorporated, the state of Michigan is incorporated, and so is our country. Joe Biden said this on the Stephen Colbert show uh, in 2016, the United States is the largest corporation in the world. And to show you what a nerd I am, if you look at the bottom of the slide down here, I actually looked up the US code that lists us as a federal corporation. This is how our government operates. So it has to have. We have to have a grasp and understanding of the cash flow. This isn't to say that we have to be capitalistic about it, and and seek profit at all costs. Is to see how our, our numbers work. So my city at 14 billion dollars of taxable value. Actually, I think it's like 15 billion now. Um, is is seven times the value of Ted Turner, from a taxable standpoint. So if Ted Turner is going to be looking at his, at his values, so should we. So so we've done this analysis all across the country, I think uh, 40 different states now, um, and uh, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. When you mash up the numbers, this is basically what you see. For every dollar of county taxes, somebody pays in county taxes per acre in single family housing. Their brother or sister in the city is paying about five bucks to that same county. Here's the Walmart, here's the mall. This is a two story building. This could be in Driggs, Idaho or downtown Durham, North Carolina. As soon as you start stacking stories, you see a two story, three story and a six story building. And what you're essentially doing is you're stacking your dollar bills on top. Um, One of the things when I first started doing this stuff, I would get pushback from people and they would just misread this presentation. And they'd say, well, you know, you just hate Walmart. And and just to let you know, um, I've actually presented at the International Association of Tax Assessing Officers Conference, which uh, is probably the squarest conference I've ever presented. this, this guy, it makes a planning conference feel like Burning Man, it was like unbelievably square. But this guy got up at eight in the morning and did this amazing presentation on how cheap Walmarts are. Let that wash over you for a second. I sat there and watched this and I thought this was brilliant. Here's a guy in one meeting, there's 3000 assessors, he's getting all of his property taxes lowered in one meeting, that's ridiculously efficient. But I'm, I've worked in government, I've, I'm trained as an architect, I was having a coronary because I was like, why does nobody care? Now the assessors are agnostic, it's not their fault. If it's a cheap building, it's a cheap building. So I went up to the microphone and I asked them, I said, Mr. Terrell, what's the useful life of one of your buildings? He immediately shot back 15, 20 years. So that's their commitment to your corporation, which is the life cycle of a cat. You know, sorry, I'm a dog person, not to throw any shade at cats, but this is what they commit in your community. And this, again, don't hate the player, hate the game. Understand that there's a perverse incentive to build junk in your community. You pay a lower taxes if you're charging property taxes, your value. So I would argue that people don't see it because we're we usually don't talk about real estate economics this way. We really don't think through what the ramifications are from a governance standpoint. And what we do to try to bridge that is, let's just put all the way that we see things a little bit to the side for a second and think through the uses of technology. So if I can, if I can show you your brain With an mri and show you your brainstem activity in blue and your creative thought process in green can i do an economic mri uh, of of uh, of my community so this is my county total value so gray is non-taxable so this big gray pad up here in the upper right that's non-taxable green is low value purple is high value so i've got gray is low value green is Or green is low value gray is not no value whatsoever this big purple splotch right here is the Biltmore Estate. That's America's largest house. That one house is worth $100 million, which is kind of impressive. But it's really not a fair way of talking about it because that one house is also 180,000 square feet. Does anybody have a 180,000 square foot house? No, it's also sitting on 8,000 acres of land. So this is like having the biggest gas tank um, and, and bragging about your miles. So rather than total value, let's go value per acre. And then let's just go ahead and jump to seeing it in 3D. So this is productivity and here it is in 3D. So we can do this whole entire county and show you the model and show folks what's going on. Now, our county is a little weird. We've got a lot more people out in the county than in the city. So the politics shift that way. There is actually, when I was in the downtown association, our state legislator called us a cesspool of sin, um, which is, you know, welcome to North Carolina but you know, in defense of people out in Fairview, they don't know what we're paying in taxes in downtown. So here's the folks out in Fairview and they think they're paying a lot of taxes because they only know their own tax bill. Here's downtown right here. So remember, we're all county taxpayers here. If we're all paying the same per acre rate, millage rate, where's the county getting all of its money? So not only can you see downtown, you can also see our little cousin of Black Mountain on the east over here. you can see it's a little downtown popping up too. Excuse me. So we're big believers in showing the information, not just talking about it. <clears throat> so thank you all for bringing us in to look at your model. Um, it's it's a, you have a spectacular um, opportunity in your community, and you have in, incredible data and great team as well. The first thing that we have to do in every community is get our way through your taxes. Your taxes are different from ours. So we're sort of dummies, we're just gonna wander up. Our, ours in North Carolina is a really simple system where you have a, a taxable assessment to get your tax value. It's basically equal to market value. And then the only thing that we can control is our millage rate, that's it. The state leaves it pretty simple. Um, for you all, you have this thing called an equalization rate. So you get an ex- assessment ratio off your ma- market value to get an equalization rate, and then you do your tax rate on that to get your tax bill. Um, your ratio is 50%. You're only taking 50% of your value rather than a full value like North Carolina. So if you had if you had $100,000 of property, it'd be $50,000 for non non-homes, homestead, and $50,000 for homestead. Um, your millage rate, however, is is different because you have a homestead credit uh, of a reduction of 36 mills uh, for the homestead credit. So if you're a homeowner, great, that's awesome. If you're a renter, uh, you're you're getting taxed full rate. So that's Probably going to be passed through to the renter as well, uh, but when you do the math on it, um, it equals a uh, like this would be the tax rate or the tax bill: uh, four thousand dollars three hundred for the for the the renter, and two thousand three hundred for the um, for the property owner. So that's in your system. Um, from your revenue breakdown standpoint, all states operate different ways. Um, there's property taxes, retail taxes, and other. Like in Ohio, you can actually they actually have a local income tax. That's kind of rare. but There's several several states that have that. If you look at Michigan, the majority of your revenue is in this red stuff, which is property taxes. Um, let me see, it should pop up. There it is. Um, so there's there's some pros and cons to this. You actually have more land use control um, locally, so that's good. Uh, You generally don't want to be at the right of this with with Alabama, Arkansas, and Louisiana at the right of this slide because they're running mostly off retail taxes. And when we're hit with a recession or inflation and people stop buying, then it becomes a problem with government. So you generally, you're you're in good shape. When you look at your city and your county property taxes, we broke it down that um, what's paying for this, your county is getting about 47% of its revenue with property taxes and your city's about 32% of property taxes. So it's a significant portion of your revenue. So getting into your, your city now and looking at your, your model, this is your um, your total value or think of this as miles per tank. Um, when it pops up, there it is. So you see these huge parcels, that's the uh, the uh, industrial area. It's all purple, super high value. But remember, it's a really big land consumer. So it's the biggest gas tank. So flipping it to value per acre, um, just give it a second for the lag to catch up. And uh, you can see the shift in the map. Um, you can kind of see your downtown popping up, but you really see it when you get into 3D. Um, so here's your your downtown shooting off the model. Come on now. There we go. And uh, you can see it in the model. So zooming into your city now, so you can bring it a little bit more into focus and then into your downtown. Um, sorry, I'm trying to respond to the lag. I hope I'm keeping up with this. Um, so here's your city, here's your downtown. And then this is your, um, your center city area. Um, not, not as potent as your downtown, uh, but it's doing all right. So one of the things is obviously you have this kind of two downtown thing going and it, and it sort of reminded us of Kansas City uh, Kansas City has their main downtown is this first purple mountain and then they have this other thing called Country Club Plaza that was started in the 1920s and it was a streetcar suburb, but you can see how they have a second, second uh, downtown. Now the potency is achieved by density um, by getting a lot of stuff into a little bit of space and having that urban walkable environment so designing place matters um, and you can see the value return and in the, in the, again this isn't going to be for everybody, but it's an opportunity. So when you look at your your city and your, your downtown and your your city, sorry, city center area, um, your city center area has opportunity to grow up. Your downtown does too, um, but just be aware of, you can see at the downtown, the kind of the green edge to it of, of pretty low potency and your city center is a long spine that's sort of clustered in one area. Um, looking, stepping back out to your county again, and going through some simple metrics, your your taxable, non-taxable stuff. You're at about 14% non-taxable in your in your county, uh, 27% uh, non-taxable in your city, and then inside the two core areas, um, of you know your 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 downtown part has a lot of non-tax. Oops, come on now. Has a lot. It's 66% non-taxable. Come on now. Okay, I don't know if it, I'm catching up with the lag, but 66% non-taxable in the downtown, which is considerable. Now, to be fair, a big chunk of wetland by the, by the river is, is non-taxable, but you do have, if you look at the sort of uh, west side of, of downtown over here, it's pretty non-taxable. Um, your city is a, is a portion of your, of your county, is 6% of the land area and producing 56% of the county's property tax revenue. So that's super strong. Um, so as shareholders of Midland County, the city is producing a lot of property tax wealth uh, to the county. So what's good for the city is actually good for Midland County. You're gonna be getting a lot of property tax revenue to the county that way. Um, additionally, your downtown is a, is a sharehold of your, um, of your city is about 04 of the land ownership of the, down, of the city and about 4% of the property tax production, that's a one to nine ratio of productivity. That's, that's actually very good too. Um, so that's something y'all should be proud of. You're, you're, what you're doing in your downtown is working. Um, your city center area, when you do its measurement, uh, by contrast, it's a one to two ratio. Generally a downtown, um, you sort of want it to be about a one to six ratio of productivity. So your downtown is exceeding that one to six, and this area has room to grow. But stepping back for a second and realizing your downtown is a portion of your county. I'm waiting for the lag to catch up here. Um, it's about two tenths of a percent, or two 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 one hundredths of a percent of footprint of the county. It's two percent of the county's property tax production. It's a one to one hundred uh, level of production. So. I just want to let this sink in for a second as you increase the value of your downtown the potency to the county is way better than the potency to the city so what's good for the downtown is great for the city but it's unbelievable for the county so it would it would behoove you all to bring the county into this conversation as you continue this work in your city they're going to benefit too and they should help participate in this if it's converting one of their surface parking lots into a mixed use development and, and having more compact development, that's gonna benefit them in the long run. So I would, I would extend that offer in, in conversation with them that this is good for them. Okay, so now going through, that's the overall macro of the model. Now individual components, the ingredients of what make up your city, the land uses. Um, I'm just gonna run through sort of a windshield survey of some places. We always start with a Walmart, everybody's got one. And the Walmart is like your control subject. It's like, what's a big box? A big box is pulling $330,000 an acre. So I'm gonna go ahead and use that number and it's gonna be on the bottom of every slide going forward. So here it is on the lower right and the single family houses um, right there. So if you look at the lower right down there, it's gonna be there on every other slide going forward for this section, but basically single family is pulling about a little bit more than a Walmart in, in production. So that's like is is a basic uh, number about three hundred and eighty four thousand when you get into multifamily um, you're looking at um, it's sort of all over the place in the sample but your land use patterns you go f- from about three hundred thousand an acre to uh, four hundred um, this Wingate one is five hundred and seventy thousand um, and then Stratford place is let's call it double a Walmart at seven fifty. Midland Manor is around eight hundred thousand, and uh, the Brooks Estates apartments is now at the, the upper right. There is at one point two million, so you see the potency as you uh, of multifamily. There's a misnomer that people have there where they think that single-family housing is the big producer, but it really tends to be multifamily. It depends on the type, though. Um, the missing middle stuff, and in, in the, the stuff that we've sort of zoned out of existence, townhouses. Uh, quadplexes, things like that. Um, we we find them in places. Uh, we found some of yours. So remember, your your housing, your single family detached housing was three hundred thousand. The uh, Cherry View condos on the left are pulling six hundred thousand, or double single family. In those townhouses on the right, are one point six million. Um, but overall, as a sample, multifamily is pulling uh, about double uh, single family. When you get into other types of housing, uh, some of the stuff that you're doing downtown, the mixed use stuff, um, you're gonna see a significant jump in, in the value. Um, on, the lower, on the lower left is, is the Ellsworth at 2.2 million, the Larkin blocks at 4 million. And the H residence is just a stunning $31 million an acre or 10 times the potency of average single family, um, which is, or is that hundred times, sorry, um, the potency. So on average, again, that's an outlier at 31 million, but on average mixed use is pulling 4.7 million versus 300,000 for for single family detached. Now, because of who you are, uh, you you have a a sizable amount of land that goes to industrial uses, um, that's its own class. Um, When you look at who's paying what in the system, uh, these are your your top, uh, taxpayers uh, co-generations by itself the most at ten percent Dow Chemicals at nine percent and then all the way down to uh, uh, Trinseo and then this is everybody else but as a sample it, these tend to be large land uses they're their own animal you know you can't put anything really near them but this is the Dow Chemical plant itself is pulling one hundred and fifty one thousand or about half a Walmart. Um, now, granted, your trade-off is jobs, employment, income uh, for that land use type. Uh, your your world headquarters for Dow is at 2.3 million, a denser building, more building, more valuable building on the site. Um, but it's all tied into this office use. So as as a whole, the office industrial park's about 90, let's call it 93 thousand dollars an acre. Um, going through those different types now into commercial. Um, Walmart back to Walmart 330 Costco is about 425 um, the Home Depot is is a uh, sorry it's I'm waiting for the lag here uh, 330 um, when you get into the uh, the mall complex um, I can't see this on the screen but you can see the span of these um, actually, let me go back for a second it's about let's call it, the Home Depot is about 300,000. to to show you a different uh, land use type. This is another hardware store right here. The Ace Hardware downtown is pulling two million by comparison. So basically, the trade-off is smaller the parking lot. It's still just a hardware store. Um, that's a sizable increase from that from that Home Depot at uh, three hundred thousand dollars of, of taxable value. So one of the things that we've kind of learned over our study of cities is we really should start questioning things like parking standards um, because basically it's going to devalue the, the the real estate. The bigger the parking lot, the worse it gets. So when you look at, look at the trade-off, is it really that difficult to go to these hardware? Um, so now going from those land use types to uh, out by the circle, um, you're seeing the right Aid at 372,000, uh, the circle properties on the north side at 317, and then it spans anything from from let's say 1.7 uh, is the highest, um, or no sorry, 2.1 million at Ginny's Goldsmiths is the highest potency. So this is starting to give you some of the indications that those buildings that were built back in the day, closer into the circle at that urban pattern, you can see the difference versus the kind of like the suburban introduction of the of the Rite Aid down at 300,000 versus Ginny's Goldsmiths at 2.1 million. So these little spaces are actually super, super potent. Um, Now, granted, there's trade offs. Uh, The parking is usually not in this big field in front of it, uh, but it's usually nearby. But this is the start of what you see with urban environments. This as you grow into your downtown similar product, but maybe two stories. Um, You're going to see it jump up. Let's see. It's the next slide. There we go. at the low end on this one block, we're at 2.6 million, but it goes as high as 3.6 million on this on this block. Um, it, it's fun to look at the buildings downtown and see some of it's just a, a place in time, has it been renovated or not? This is a really good example here. Um, this this uh, Lewinstein building, it's basically the same building split in half, like a duplex, but on the right, it's about 4.1 million and on the left is 3.1 billion. So for the same, commodity, the one on the right's at a higher percentage. And that's probably because it was renovated or higher value for some reason. But um, anyway, when you interrogate the data, you'll see things like this. And then into the bigger commercial product, you're looking at the East End, the Dow Building is at 7.3 million. Um, And then the H Hotel is coming in at at, uh, 7.7 million. So just to recap, I went through a lot of different land uses. I'll just put it on a model and, and show it to you all in different places so you can see where they are um, in your community and how they stack up um, ac- across, the, across the spectrum. Um, this highly encourage you to just print this out and take a look at it. Um, we can also send you the model so you can look at it on your phone and, and zoom around the different properties. So into some land use patterns, one of the things that we've talked with, I've mentioned earlier, we've talked with your uh, team about is the, the parking that you have. Um, you have a tremendous amount of parking downtown on taxable land and non-taxable land. So uh, uh, the, the analyst, uh, 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 Leah, she's on, she's on the call here. Um, she's, she's broken all of this down, but basically in your downtown, you're looking at, um, you know, there's a sizable amount of exempt Parking uh, uh, LAND IN YOUR DOWNTOWN, um, YOU'RE LOOKING AT 10% OF THAT IS SURFACE PARKING. 20% OF TAXABLE LAND IS, uh, is PARKING, BUT YOU'RE LOOKING AT 67, um, tax- TAXABLE PARKING IS 67% OF ALL PARKING. Um, SOMETHING TO CONSIDER, WE TEND TO THINK OF CARS WHEN THEY MOVE AROUND ON THE STREET AS A PUBLIC GOOD AND THE CAR CAN BE SERVICED BY THE GOVERNMENT TO HAVE PUBLIC ACCESS. But when we create a parking deck, all of a sudden it's, there's an encouragement that, that that should be really the private sector doing that. Um, getting that taxable land into a building is more tax productive for you all than having it wasted for surface parking. It's that simple. Um, when you look at the, you see a, a, a shift when you go out to the um, the, the city the center city area. Um, it's a lot more non-tax or a lot more taxable land is is in the parking. You're looking at 36 percent or 92 percent of the of the um, taxable parking is uh, the parking is taxable Um, so that's that's an incredible opportunity to turn that you need to turn that one around Um, going back to your your city for a second and looking at all of your buildings your buildings take up um, about 39 percent of your entire city um, and your your parking takes up about 22 percent um and uh your roads are about 30%. So your roads and your parking are about the same size in an in, in area. Zooming into the downtown, you're looking at 40% of the land area is used for surface parking. Uh, 28% is for roads and 30% are for buildings. And in this center city area, um, you're looking at a, a stunning 58% is surface parking. Now remember that the, the buildings are where your value is. That's where the, the taxable component is. Um, you know, we see this in other areas just to give you like a, a Kansas city example, you know, they're, they're somewhere between with, with, with the, your two areas, um, there, there isn't a perfect number here. It's just, it's just something to be mindful of because there are economic consequences. So now I'll show you what that mean what I mean by that. So when you look at the whole city and turn the whole city into a square, this is how you use your land, um, with. The, the roads, your buildings, your parking and your driveways and then everything else is your berms, your buffers, your backyards and everything else. How that converts to revenue is on the right. So if you look at the everything else it doesn't really punch you that hard in your wallet. Your, your yard isn't worth much. Your, your buffer isn't worth much. But when you look at the buildings your buildings are pulling $3.9 billion uh, of of value versus your, your parking is down here at let's call it 38 million, which is nothing. Um, incidentally, look at the size of your parking and your size of your road. Your, your your area footprint is about the same, but look at the value difference between your roads and your parking. Your roads are costing you about 1.5 billion, but your parking is only valued at at 38 million. So that's the discount that we give parking. That's just baked right into the system. So when we say parking is subsidized, this is what you mean by it. It's just not charged enough the 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 car that's driving around on the roads if it's the same area and that value is one thing when the car stops on the parking it should be valued the same way so when you look at the just going outside the city for a second and doing the same thing in the downtown and you see the 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 footprint of the land uses in the downtown and then here's the value of of what downtown buildings produce a lot more value uh, on a a ratio standpoint versus citywide because you have denser buildings that are more potent in your downtown. But your buildings are producing $160 million worth of value. Your parking is about four, let's call it 5 million uh, of value. So something again, be mindful of this, be mindful of the consequences of land use. When people say we need more parking, it's like, well, great. Yeah, it's gonna cost you something. So to to key it back out for a second, this is your average resident of Midland. Um, She's got about 1,400 square feet of buildings dedicated to her, uh, 1,000 square feet of parking and about, let's call it 1,200 square feet of road. When this gets built, um, the assessor goes out there with a sticker gun and puts prices on things. So this is how it gets valued. So the buildings are about 68 bucks a square foot. The, The road's about $30 a square foot. Your parking's about a buck a square foot. So your parking is one sixtieth the tax production. So the the problem is that road is gonna cost you $30 a square foot in front of the building and $30 a square foot in front of the parking. Yet your parking is paying one sixtieth the revenue to catch up to that, which is, it's not, it's not gonna catch up to the cost of that road in the life cycle of that road. So every city that we go and we do this, we just have to explain that to folks. So like this is, we've kind of just built our way into this 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 problem which is an economic failure basically Um, and you have a lot of roads you have enough roads to go to um, uh, St. Louis if you so every 50 years you have to rebuild a road to St. Louis that road is is constantly needs to be repaid repaved Uh, whenever we do work in a community uh, we always try to find a local um, something curious that's interesting Um, we did find uh, you know Kathy's from from um, from Midland and um, we, f- we thought it was pretty funny that she had a, uh, she complains about taxes too. Um, and she also has financial problems. So maybe learn from Kathy, I don't know. Um, anyway, just moving aside. How you've been growing, um, you had a, a couple big growth spurts. So from the early 1900s to 1950, and then you had a super rapid growth um, after World War II, which you all know. Um, so previous to 1970, if we just stop there as a benchmark, um, you had about, about 6,000 people. You added uh, 5,000 more people um, after that, yet your, your built area doubled. So you didn't double your population. You, it's like maybe 80% of your population, but you doubled your land area. So as you consume more land area, you're consuming more roads in the process that so you're gonna be stretching out that infrastructure. So, so be aware of that, that pattern that you were able to build into a denser pattern earlier on and recycle that existing infrastructure. So here's a chart showing um, just compared to some other areas and how they grew. Um, this is your, your population growth compared to Bay City and Saginaw. Um, you're doing all right because you're you're still on an upward trend it's not a it's not a rapid growth but you're not losing population the way that saginaw and bay city are so that's that's good for for y'all we did compare you against a couple other cities to show you some some example comparisons Um, your population is 42,000 in population so you're about half of south bend yet you're more Square miles. You're 36 square miles. They're 33 square miles. Um, their density is more than yours, um, but they're uh, from a, a a total value standpoint, you actually have way more potency in your value uh, than they do. Uh, Traverse City's in the state, so that's going to be an easier comparison. Your money's the same, basically, but you can see that there's they're let's say a third the population at 15,000. They're doing that on seven square miles. Their population density is double yours. Their top of their model, the peak value per acre, the top of their purple spike is at 77 million. So they're double the peak value. And they're just a little bit behind you in total value at 2.4 billion. Um, Rochester is a much more potent place. It's a much larger place. They're also home to a big world headquarters. So we went ahead and threw them in because of the Mayo Clinic. their peak value is stunning at $166 million per acre of value um, and their total value is a lot more potent as well. Um, probably easier to use Traverse City as is, is an example, um, but just we had these, so we wanted to sh- show you what's going on. You can also see how um, in the case of Traverse City, they not only have their downtown, but they have this kind of like foothills of red and orange around their downtown. So they're able to cluster more development in and around their downtown and take advantage of that first ring um, neighborhoods where yours kind of drops off pretty quickly um, in your model. So it's just, again, something to study and compare. Onto the growth projections, we looked at the downtown and the the center city area. Um, Here's your um, value per acre map on the left and an aerial on the right. And then here it is turned into like looking at the parking, um, and what you could do with that. So to give you an idea of, of the parking and the scale of it, um, on the, on the right is the, um, a Larkin deck and on the left is the parking lot next to it. So you've got about the same square footage, but when you put things into a deck, you can obviously do more parking in it. So you get 300 parking spaces in the deck versus again the same area at 115 parking spaces um so one of the things that we thought about is could you do a couple more decks and reduce the the footprint of the surface parking stuff so here's the larkin deck um and then here's sorry there's a little bit of a lag still Um, so when you look at the acres consumed in the upper right the larkin deck um consumes 0.9 acres, yet it produces 300 parking spaces. Um, There's 4,000 parking spaces in your entire downtown, um, which is a lot. Um, So here it is in land use. And uh, basically if you did 12 Larkin decks, you could eliminate all of your surface parking if you wanted to. And then you could grow all of that other area into new 23 acres of, of new taxable, um, taxable real estate. We just did this as sort of an extreme to give you an idea of, of you're gonna be using that land one way or another, and you're gonna be paying for it one way or another. So you either pay for the parking garage or you lose revenue in the taxes on the surface parking lot. One way or another, you're gonna pay for it. So just as a, as a thought experiment, where could they happen? Um, so here's an example of a hypothetical four-story four garage. Um, here's the parking lots that it could take down. Just you could eliminate those and, and grow buildings into it. So as as a as a growth uh, plan, um, here's your. Come on now. Um, here's your growth model and where you're currently at from a current condition standpoint. And then, oops, if you did parking infill. Um, basically messing with 8% of your land area of your downtown. Uh, You can add $32 million uh, of on parking lot infill or underdeveloped lots that are currently basically empty lots or vacant land, Uh, a sizable increase on your downtown uh, with 8% of your real estate. Um, Going on to um, the center city plan, Um, here's your area. Here's the plan. Sorry, this is uh, this lag is kind of not predictable. Um, there, there's a drawing that you all gave us on the growth of the inner ring, if you will, and um, some developments that could happen in th- those areas that are highlighted in orange. Um, so adding in those potential infill opportunities into the site and where they could go in the current parking fields area you're you're currently consuming about um, uh, 14.6. Let's call it 15 acres of surface parking in this in this in this area, um, and getting about 1,500 parking space. That's a lot of parking spaces for this area. Um, f- folks may feel like they're far away from other properties or other buildings because the walk is usually not that entertaining. Walking through parking LOTS. so it feels a lot bigger than they are. Um, but looking at again as a sample, if we're to do five Lark index, you would take all of the surface parking lots that are in this area and, and basically eliminate them and grow 10 acres of new taxable real estate in the area. Um, so that's over by the circle. Uh, and then here's what the growth projections look like. if you're to, if you're to go down this path, you're currently uh, valued about 14 million. Um, you could add 1.4 million with some infill. And then for um, uh, getting the parking garages built and just eliminating the parking, you can add an additional five million uh, of value on that. That's affecting about eight percent of the real estate in the area. It's not a huge change to the real estate, but a massive opportunity of growth um, in this area. To give you an idea of a couple of the buildings, here's here's uh, here's Ginny's uh, Gold, uh, Goldsmith right there popping up. Um, going to the uh, the. Uh, sort of the other area out out from the circle in the center city area, the kind of the strip, if you will, um, it's about, uh, 50 acres uh, of surface parking and, uh, for, with 6,500 parking spaces. So a lot more part, like five times the parking spaces from the circle area. Um, and again, same thing, it would take more parking decks to make this. And again, this is just the, the three level, uh, Larkin you're looking at 18 of them, um, or adding that uh, much more taxable real estate. So going through the example, <coughs> here's your current value of around 60 million. Uh, doing some infill, you're looking at an additional 13 million of value on 2% of land, increasing the, increasing the consumption of, of surface parking and putting in more, more parking uh, structures. Growing up to five percent of impact, you're looking at an additional 13 million uh, on top of that. So, so as you do that growth, this is what you're seeing um, in the model of, of, of growth in, in the uh, in these areas. So, uh, just to let you know, we have our we have our uh, disclaimer that uh, no parking was um, was 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 harmed in any of these models that we've we've basically done a one-to-one relate replacement. Um, uh, of, of parking. So, this wasn't about getting rid of parking, it was just changing the way that you build it, um, if you will. So, looking at your median home values, we did a, a breakdown of, of home values over time, but also uh, rents over time. And on the left here, you see in blue is the median affordable home value. Uh, and on the in, in green is the median home value. Um, so, what you're seeing is a trend line is this kind of upward growth of of the median house increasing at about 30 percent which is which is solid that's it's good growth um it's kind of stable if you will when you look at your rents however you see a different story this is what you're looking like with your rents um, with a median affordable rent and the median rent respectively in blue to green and you see the growth so rental your, your rental experiences uh is increasing 60 60%. So there's a a huge gap um, between your um, median house, uh, affordable house value, and your your median home value. But when you're looking at your your rents, however, the gap's not that strong. It's about 4%. So another way of thinking of this is what we're seeing in your numbers is your median home value to purchase a home is 1.5 times lower than what's considered affordable. So your price to enter into a house is actually better to buy, but if you're renting, um, it's, 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 it's a different picture. You're, you're basically, your rents are going through the roof um, as you probably know, or you hear around the community. Um, <clears throat> stepping back out and what we've done is a series of of infill opportunities in your core areas. Now looking at your city, um, in a more broad, broad strokes of looking at your, just doing infill and um, in, in, in the neighborhoods um, in and around your city, you're looking at a, a altering about 50 acres or about 8% of the land area. You can harvest about um, 46 million, just doing infill, new, new housing um, in, in the community. Um, things like adding more townhouses, if you will, um, is an example. Um, the kicker is when you do things like um, ADUs, uh, things where they're on existing property, where somebody just just make it easy for somebody to build a garage apartment to add more rental into your community, which is necessary because you're having rental issues of your pricing. So there's more demand there. So allow that market to, to fulfill itself. If you do that, that would add 50 about $55 million of new opportunity. We just did a quick like CAT scan of your zoning of who could do this and how would you, how would it yield as a result? You're going to be adding more square footage of value onto a property that's going to have taxable value. So that now we're just up to 8% of the area of, of affecting real estate in this pie chart, but you're harvesting 54.5 million new taxable value. So it will also help alleviate some of that pressure on the rental prices in your community. Um, In the, uh, The the Bay city road corridor area doing a similar uh, analysis is about 680 acres. It's currently somewhere around 60 million uh, of of value. Um, Just doing, altering about 54 acres of of development, you're going to yield about $20 million of new taxable value. So now taking all of this, all of these different scenarios and what does it mean to your community if you were to just do everything all at once? I know that's a sort of a lot to take in, but you're currently worth $3 billion. So um, if you add your city center, you're going to be adding um, 26 million uh, onto, onto that. If you do the downtown infill stuff, you're going to be adding another 57 million. Um, if you bring in Midtown, you're adding, and that's a, there's a lot more development there, but it's going to yield a bigger result of 157 million on top of that. Um, Your Bay City Road corridor, you're adding another 178 million. All of the accessory dwelling units is a stunning jump of 400, brings you up to 460 million, stacking your your stuff here. So just to recap, here's where you're at at 3.1 billion. And by adding everything else, you can roll that up to $460 million of new development on top of that 3.1 billion. So that would take you to about, let's call it 3.5 billion of, of new growth in your community without expanding any, any you're not expanding any boundaries, you're not expanding any new roads, you're not adding more infrastructure. This is all on your existing costs. So because I like to use the word corporation and run the throw the number around, we went ahead and pulled what you are worth versus uh, Dow Chemical. Um, you know, you'd need uh, two, three, four, 16, 17, 18, but about 20 um, uh, cities to make Dow, Dow Chemicals worth a lot of money, but maybe closer to home, easier to talk about. Let's talk about the Lions for a second. Uh, you could liquidate your city and buy one and a half Lions. Um, I can tell you that our parent company, the real estate developer, um, we know the cost of the cups in the nightclub they cost five cents a, 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 a cup for the for these plastic cups um, I can tell you that um, uh, Sheila Ford hemp probably knows Jared Goff's towel bill like you know these things when you run a business so be aware of the cost of those roads be aware of the cost of that infrastructure and also understand your revenue and your stats of what's going on in your community Um This is a huge presentation. I know it's a lot of stuff. We always like to end by a little bit of a recap. What are your next steps? Where do you go from here? And again, I can't say this enough. Know your costs and map them. Understand what things are costing, what you're carrying um, with all of your roads, enough roads to go to St. Louis. Um, Learn from other places. It can be even bigger places. Learn from uh, Kansas City. Learn from places that are doing the miss, missing middle stuff that are doing infill, aggressive infill, ADUs. Uh, again, this isn't going to be for everybody, but this is part of your market to grow it. So when you look at that second downtown that they have um, on the right, are your Pathfinder Commons on the left, is a is a six pack apartment building uh, right here in, in uh, St. Louis. It's pulling six hundred thirty thousand dollars an acre. These are again, this isn't downtown uh, uh, Kansas City. This is. This is that streetcar suburb and you see these significant buildings um, in their second place. Now, this isn't to say that you're going to do a 14-story building, but understand that you could have another version of your downtown and be all right. Um, Be aware that little things, little buildings have a huge impact. Um, So it's one of the reasons why we pointed out um, uh, Jenny's Goldsmith uh, and some of the smaller buildings. You've probably driven by these things a million times, but like the craft the hemp company at $1.5 million. The thing is the thing is skinnier than a smart car and it's producing that kind of wealth. These small spaces um, usually are affordable for people to start businesses, small businesses, but they can grow up to bigger businesses. The same is true with these buildings, that the buildings can can grow to being second story buildings and things like that. So there's lessons in the older patterns of growth that you can learn that are sitting right in your own community. Um, continue on your path. You, you you have uh great ideas a great vision you've identified areas to do your work into the future the surgery if you will um and your current value of your uh, center city areas is is about 60 million it could grow to be about 85 million uh, of of new opportunity if you stick to your plans and you go through this it's it's not easy to grow to this but you'll have returns in the future um the urban pattern of growth is more complicated, period. It's gonna be more expensive at the front end, but you're gonna get more long-term value out of it. That's the lesson that we've learned from cities in the past. Always pay attention to your revenue and what's generating it. So be aware of the cost and consumption of, of your land uses and your parking and what that means to you and what that's taking, um, say punching you in the wallet, um, if you will, that, that there is a trade-off in that ease and access and ability to have parking everywhere, you're paying for it, whether you're like it or not. So just make sure that it's worth it to you and you're doing the math on whether or not that cost and consequence is gonna be better as a surface parking lot, or would it be better as a parking deck? Because you go to a four-level de- four parking deck and be more efficient. And I'll just close, we do a lot of work with strong towns. Many people read about us through Chuck's books um, and Strong Town's work. And there's a reason why we, we, we do a lot of talks together is that our, we, we're both basically saying similar messages, which is be prudent, make small moves, do those incremental investments, but also be aware of your costs and do your math. So thanks for um, letting me blast through a lot of information. I apologize for the lag. I can see how long it is here uh, to get to the slides and hopefully that that worked with everybody. Thank you. Okay.
7: So, Madam Mayor, at this point you would have the opportunity uh, either planning commission members who are in attendance or many members of council if you have specific questions or just general concepts and discussions you'd like to have. To follow up on the presentation that you received, or um, just exploration, perhaps, of some of the concepts that you heard this evening from Joseph. So, um, at this point, you can open it up, I suppose, to anybody. This really is meant as a workshop for both commission members as well as city council members.
2: I can go ahead and start, Joe. One of the things, obviously, you're 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 going after parking, and I would I would acknowledge that there are certain parking lots in the city. That are oversized, you pointed out the I main Walmart Lowe's, any of the big box stores you 'll never find those to be half full even um, and then you pointed out also some that were located near the river, which frankly you can 't really do much else with because they are prone to flooding, so I wonder whether you 've looked at i mean can you take then the question is if you if you took away from big box stores the Amount of parking? Would you find a taker for that space? In other words, is it attractive? You know, you see some of these infills. Uh, we have a Myers grocery store where they put a Culver's in front, and, a, and a, I don't know if the Taco Bell really kind of qualifies. But there's, they put a couple other, these little, uh, smaller, usually fast food places. But you, you can only do so much of that. Um, You know, we've got one sitting over here in front of what used to be a Kmart called Little Chef that's been sitting vacant for years. Uh, So, I wonder how val. You know, you take away that parking that we probably don't need, but can you really trans turn that into value? So, I don't know if you have any thoughts on. uh, You know, the equation doesn't always work that way because the parking is not in spots, at least from my perspective, where it's it really does bring. Does offer the opportunity for more value because it's just in the wrong spot.
1: Well, it's it's going to depend. Um, you know, I, it depends on the location. It's going to depend on the quality of street that's there. Is any is anybody going to build a a walkable um, urban type building on a road that's basically screaming and yelling uh, auto dependency? If it's like a like a the the term that. Chuck uses in his book is called a strode it's a street road hybrid it doesn't it doesn't function well as a road and it doesn't function well as a street Um, so he calls it the futon of transportation product Um, and a futon is you know isn't comfortable as a bed and it's not comfortable as a couch it's but it serves both purposes so cities we go to you see these things at the edges that have drained the, the the transportation out and they tend to be five lanes they tend to be traffic nightmares and they don't function well because they're not moving cars. They're kind of dangerous. They're moving cars at scale, but not in a safe way and not in a way that is going to facilitate good urban product on the side. So it's kind of hard. I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily recommend that that would be your first um, experiment um, because, you know, how, I, I, would, I would maybe check into what's the useful life of that Walmart and is it hitting its 20 year window if it's hitting its 20 year window then you've got an opportunity to do something because that building is going to be left behind by Walmart. And again, this this is their strategy. This is the way that they run their business. Great. As long as you're aware of that, that's when you're going to start to see a flip in the property owner. So you want to get your plans ready for when that happens. So if a developer did come in and have the opportunity of doing a mixed-use development or something of higher density, you want to have those streets around it uh, facilitate that you don't want to have the streets as sort of a sort of like a dysfunctional sort of mini highway thing, and then you're trying to put some like pedestrians next to it. That'll never work. Um, it, it's kind of like if if you just put a bush out in a parking lot and hope that birds show up, they might. But if you have a forest, you have an ecosystem for the birds. They'll show up. So the walkable environment has to be more thought through for that to happen. Now if going from that Walmart parking lot to somewhere in downtown. um, There's plenty of parking that particularly on the West side uh, that the county owns that could be redeveloped. Um, You're already having that market turnaround in your downtown. You have the things that people can walk to and you have streets that are walkable and pleasant. That's probably the bigger bang for your buck. Um, Could you experiment with no parking requirements whatsoever? See what happens that you know, will will the Walmart come in and do a smaller parking lot let, let it leave it up to them yeah. um, but don't don't force them to over park as if it was Christmas uh, yeah. uh, a Black Friday or something right. like that and then for you know 360 days out of the year, it's just underutilized and you're paying they're paying low taxes on it yeah. so it, I don't have a, a simple answer as you can tell it's just I'd have to see the location and how it would work and I would
2: try a couple of things. Yeah, that's that that, that's a that's a fair point. I think you know, as we look, if the 30 years, if Walmart truly will you know demolish their building, whether they would consider you know building it somewhere else, and then we could redevelop that in a different way, in the future. But I, but in terms of the rest of the property, I think some of these things. I worry that some of these things may distort our analysis or distort how we're looking at things. That maybe our maybe our proportions aren't as Skewed as maybe it looks like, because if you start backing out some of these large parking lot areas, you know where do we really stand? And I don't know if you tried if you did that analysis, or you know if you if you if you exclude certain what I'd call most extraordinary items, right? How would you how do how do we look in that case? Because you want to have good data if you're planning the whether it be the downtown or. Even the um, the center city area along Saginaw Road, you've got a large plaza parking lot in front of what used to be Kmart again, which has a lot of parking space that you don't need, which sort of distorts the the parking to uh, building ratio. I think, and so you want to make sure that if you can, you do the analysis, carving out that. Say, yeah, we agree that's bad, but then where do we stand with the rest of it?
1: I, mean, I suppose we could. I, it just I mean, the, the scope was to just, you know, do a sort of a macro analysis um, and set up a standard of how do you how do you interrogate the data or ask those questions. Could you take the same methodology that we just did and pull out um, certain certain parking lots? Definitely. I mean, that's that's you all know your community way better than, than 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 I could. So take those off the table. You're still dealing with a lot of real estate. Yeah. You know, it's it's like it's fine. Throw throw ten acres out. You still got forty that are still sitting there. So it's like there's a lot of real estate that's at play. Just be aware of. You, you just want to make sure you don't have policies that shoot yourself in the foot. You know. Yeah. Um, so don't encourage more of that parking if it's not necessary, or leave it up to the property owner. Um, you know, it's like why should why should that even be a zoning requirement? Um, that's a conversation a lot of communities don't have. Asheville got rid of their parking requirements in their downtown in the 1990s. Um, and, but what they did is they did a proactive parking strategy that complemented it. So within the span of seven years, they built two parking structures. And that facilitated a lot of the building rehab because property owners could then just tell their tenants, go buy a parking pass from the city. And, and they did that. Or if people chose to not have a car, they're fine, you know. So it's it's you know it's it's think through a lot of these policies that we tend to accept uh, at face value without interrogating them. Yeah.
2: We'd also like to offer you an opportunity to invest in a parking garage in Midland.
1: <laughs> um, you know, I've actually got a PowerPoint on parking structures downtown. Our parent company, we did a mixed-use public-private parking structure where we wrapped. A parking structure with a hotel and housing it was our land that we went to the city with and said look this hotel developer wants to work with us you want to build a parking garage in your parking plan we'll build housing on the other side and we're going to wrap taxes around this parking structure i'd recommend that you all do that rather than just a standalone parking structure yeah. the city did a 20-year bond and they're going to pay it off in year eight so that means from year nine to twenty, it's straight gravy. They're actually funding the bus system out of the out of the excess revenues of that parking structure. What we care about is that not only did it produce housing, it's paying off the parking structure. It's also producing three thousand percent more taxes on that property than what we were paying before. So that built wealth in our community. So don't do think of this as now. Now, granted, I'm saying that from Asheville. Yeah. where we get 10 million tourists a year. So we're like, you know, kind of insane at that level. But do look for opportunities to partner with real estate developers and say, can we work at this together? And we'll we'll use our bonding capacity to take care of the deck. Um, and then your people are going to have to pay to park in our, our parking structure. Um, you can develop win-win situations like that.
2: Yeah, I think Grand Rapids has a, a couple of structures like that where they've wrapped commercial and, and, and parking. but it, I've also been to Asheville and tried to find a parking spot and found it a little bit frustrating, so as a tourist.
1: I've got a, I've got a as part of my show that I didn't put in this one, I, I show campaign ads from the 90s with this guy complaining about the $26 million that we spent in parking structures and streetscapes. And he called, he called the parking decks unused in 1990. So his name's Chris Peterson. Um, he's a friend of mine. And he's wrong, um, because now people can't find parking. I would argue that we have to keep up with it, and I wish we would do more. I, I, I'm and I'm a bicycle rider. I ride my bike to work. And I'm just like, look, it's, it's, you're, you, people use cars. That's a reality. So allow that facility to happen.
5: Question. Um, Joan, you're touching on this a bit. Does your analysis take into account our population? It, there seems to be, you know, If you build it, they will come, a bit of that assumption in in the numbers you presented today. So do you do any consideration of our population in your analysis? And a corollary to that, um, can you speak to um, any trends, either uh, growth or decline in population that you see after these sorts of changes are implemented?
1: Um, Let's see. I'm actually looking for some slides. Uh, One is like short answer is no. You can't like everything that we recommended, if you were to just go out and do that, that's sort of insane for the scale of your population. We just put that out there as a stretch goal. You know, it's like, let's just think big and just kind of put our foot to the floor and see how big we can go and what all the opportunities are. Okay, once you've gotten your mind to that level of stretch, what are some things that are low hanging fruit that have a big bang for the buck? are there a couple parking structures or surface areas that you can you can go after certainly could you do the adus the the the, the backyard dwelling units for folks and make it easy um, some cities actually do uh, south bend indiana does pre-approved building plans for infill now south bend indiana is in the opposite uh pers- but they're, they're actually worse off than what you all are because they're losing population they're actually kind of like sort of flatlining, but dipping a little bit. So they had to figure out how to keep people from leaving. Um, but yet they created free plans basically, so that any, but which makes things more equitable that you could just go in and just be like, all right, I wanna buy that, I want, I want that house plan. And you get your permit and go get it built. What they were trying to do is stimulate getting houses built on vacant land. So that you, you build homeowners basically that are paying taxes versus going from a, a a, a vacant piece of land to a house is a huge jump in taxes. It's also opportunity for folks. The same is true with, a, with an ADU, that I could build an ADU in my backyard, let my mom live in it, or let somebody that's working at Dow, some college grad that just came into town, is going to pay rent. Well, I'm also paying more taxes, and it's providing housing for folks, so that you can increase people's local wealth um, that way, too, because they're adding more housing value to their property in the process. So that's another way to stimulate uh, local economics. In the case of the, the next questions I would ask of y'all, y'all is how many people in your community don't have a car or have one car per household? Um, because now we start asking questions of what kind of city are we designing for people? Uh, I'll, I'll use Indianapolis as an example. Indianapolis, Indiana, all of Marion County, the entire county is uh, 50% of the population has one car or less. And inside this bus corridor that we were doing, it was, it was 60%. And, and I said to them, I said, look, with 60% of your population has one car or less, why are you requiring two parking spaces per residential unit? Not everybody has a car. And I think we tend to, we tend to not ask those questions and I would, I would, I would do that. That would be in the, maybe the next question to ask your data is how many people in your in, in Midland have one car or less per household and just be aware of that data and are we building a city for that individual to get around um, or are we just assuming everybody has cars so you know that I would start with the low-hanging fruit of the adus you know just start small we gave you a big stretch there um, on all of those so you're right not all of it could happen
5: so Joe I have a, com- a comment and a question. So I was listening and hearing how um, multifamily um, produces or big producers we are working on trying to have more attainable um, housing across incomes. One of the questions I have is for those cities that have taken that approach and you know uh, redevelop the land or you know, parking lots into um, houses or multifamily units, how many of them are offering like or giving tax exemptions of some sort to the developer to make it more attractive? Because, you know, when you say it's a big producer, it's like, okay, how big is it really? Um, Or are there incentives to attract it?
1: It, it depends. I mean, everybody handles it a little bit differently. Um, some cities do tax uh, abatement for a period of time. Asheville here, they do like a 20 year tax abatement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's 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 going to depend on what your community's needs are and what you're willing to do. If you own the land as a city, you could do. Um, you can there's a at the extreme end, there's this stuff called a public asset valuation. That we're we're actually doing a lot of this with the Government Finance Officers Association, which is a nationwide organization of finance officers. Mm-hmm. Where we're helping cities understand the wealth that they're actually sitting on. Uh, the example that we show that we did early on was uh, Salt Lake County. The entire county is worth 140 billion, mm-hmm. and they're sitting on 45 billion of opportunity. So think of a city lot or a county lot or A STATE BUILDING WHERE YOU HAVE THESE PARKING LOTS THAT COULD BE USED WHERE YOU'RE BUILDING A a MIXED-USE PARKING STRUCTURE WITH A BUILDING ON IT. THAT'S GOING TO ADD VALUE AND YOU could STILL HOLD IT IN THE PUBLIC TRUST. SO WHAT IF YOU WERE TO SAY um, WE HAVE THIS LAND, THIS IS THE TYPE OF BUILDING THAT WE WANT, HERE'S here's A a SHOPPING LIST OF STUFF THAT WE WANT ON IT AND WE WANT TO HAVE IT A BLENDED INCOME PROPERTY. SO IT'S 20% um, MARKET. Uh, 30% um, workforce and 30% uh, below workforce. And we're willing to discount the land, but we're gonna charge you rent on the property. And so let's, let's, let's work this out. What, would you, what do you wanna charge for, for rent? It's not gonna be free land. Right. Um, and you can do commercial on the ground floor or whatever. Um, if you have a, a developer that's willing to, to do that, then you could use that land that's currently non-taxable. You're gonna be getting taxes on it. You're gonna be meeting some community needs and you're gonna be getting a little bit of rent on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it. It may not be what if it were market or if, you've, if you right. sold it, but you're gonna be getting something and then 50 years from now, 100 years from now, you still have that property. They do that in, um, uh, it's pretty commonplace in bigger cities. It's commonplace in Europe. Uh, there's also in Copenhagen, they actually do profit sharing. Where they say, like, we're going in on this with you as a developer. If you if you succeed, we're going to share the wealth, uh-huh. and then we'll use that money to pay like for an after school program or something. Um, but if you're losing money, we're not going to charge you extra rent for it because we don't want to. You're a partner at this point, yeah. so you can you know the sky is really the limit in this, and uh, I, we can send you an article that the government finance officers magazine wrote about this. It's called the public yeah. wealth fund, um, and it's basically. The reason why I use the word corporation is you're in it already. Like mm-hmm. the, the real estate would be worth nothing if it weren't for that road that you built or that pipe that you put out there. So you are in real estate development, whether you like it or not.
5: Yep. Thank you. And by the way, Country Club Plaza is one of my favorite places to visit when I'm in Kansas City.
6: <laughs> um, question I have is, um, I think at one point you said density was a driver of the model. I'd be curious to know what other things within the model drive changes in value or worth in addition to
1: density. Density is gonna do it. uh, Architectural quality. Um, It pings me as somebody trained as an architect that if you think about it, if I build a granite building, it's gonna be taxed more than a wood building. You know, so that's the reality of the tax system. Um, so could you do an abatement program for beautiful architecture? Probably, you know, you say we wanna have buildings that have a two hundred year life cycle um and we're not gonna we're not gonna charge you in the first twenty years because we know that thing's not going any place um that could be a way a way to have a conversation, but definitely the design the the architectural quality is gonna drive up value the density is gonna drive up value um obviously we also see some perverse um, oddity in the property. The things that you think are high value actually aren't that productive. Um, And yeah, our firm has done a lot of analysis on the uh, inequities baked in the tax assessment model. So um, that's another thing that's a whole, that's a whole other conversation with the county about how the tax system works and it tends to accelerate in the lower wealth communities faster than in the low, higher wealth communities. Um, so, but generally speaking, what you'll see in the model is that it demonstrates density and design is what's driving the, the potency. For
8: your calculations on road and parking,
7: um, how did you handle like on street parking? Was that considered a road or is that considered parking?
1: We we didn't, I don't, uh, Leah's on here. I'm pretty sure we didn't consider that. We just considered the, uh, the surface parking. Am I right, Leah?
6: Correct. Yeah. We, um, took out all of the street parking. So all of this is just
5: surface lot parking.
7: All right. Thank you. And then talk to me about vacancy rate. Um, did you transfer that from the current to the dream at the end <laughs> value? No. Or- we-
1: we didn't get into vacancy analysis or vacancy rating. It's uh, and obviously, like I said, we just went ahead and just said, let's just go crazy and see what that number is, is the, is the big prize. Um, the, the reason why um, vacancy rates are going to be tracked to, uh, I, I didn't get the earlier question about what can you really grow into? So it's a very tied, this, is, this goes back to that same question. You know, the, your population is who you are, you're growing at what you are. So until new jobs come in, um, or a new reason to be there, um, you're sort of s- stuck where you are. In the case of Asheville, which is very much like Traverse City, all know Traverse City. Uh, once Traverse City became more, you know, Traverse City was always a tour, always a, a, in a, in a sort of a tourism activity area. But it used to be a, a lumber area, a, lum- a lumber town. Now it's converted full on into a tourism town, and, and it's gone crazy. Once their downtown took off. Asheville's the same way. 20 years ago when I moved here, our downtown was sort of a sleeper. Now we get 10 million tourists a year, um, which is insane. And what ends up happening is tourism is a gateway drug to people moving to Asheville. So now because people come here and they're like, this is a cool place, I'm just gonna quit my job and move here, or I'm gonna work remote and live in Asheville. Our housing's gone through the roof, it's ridiculous. So would, would I, if you asked me that question 20 years ago, would I, would I have answered? Saying, oh yeah, Asheville's, no one ever wants to be here. Like, I couldn't see it coming. You now, I could see that we were trending in the right direction, but I couldn't see what ultimately happened. So, your market demand will change depending on what you do. Um, so, it, it's going to depend. That's a hard question to answer. I can't, I don't have a crystal ball with the future.
5: So, curiosity question you said your housing went um, off the charts. So were there a combination of single families as well as multi-families? Are there um, homeowners purchasing versus rentals? Because I think there's a fine line between those that are willing to invest and own and maintain versus those that'll rent. So what are you finding that split to be or not be?
1: In, in our community right now, um, it's kind of funny it's I'm trying not to turn into Joe the taxpayer and uh, and Leah knows what I mean by that because I am terribly frustrated with how my community handles its housing issue um, and I know that because I hear it from from Leah and people that work with me that they're having a hard time living here, and I can't keep up we just don't have the salaries to keep up with with housing price um, the The bottom one percent of my county, the value over the last 20 years has gone up 700%. The top 1% has only gone up 68%. So the top 1% has actually lost value, which how could that be? So the other thing that we have is, is we have Airbnbs in our marketplace where, you know, is trying to buy a house. How can she compete against a doctor from Florida that buys a house in Airbnbs in Asheville? And they can pay it off in four years with their income, and Leah wouldn't qualify for that for that mortgage. So one of, that's one of the things that's really, um, you know, it's you will develop into new problems. Asheville developed into this problem now, where we should be taxing our Airbnbs as commercial product because they are; they're like a hotel room. So that's something where we're we're falling short and failing. Um, we're failing our our 20 year olds, we're failing our young workers that can't get into the housing market in our community because on top of that, my city has a draconian um, uh, approvals process. I will say they do a really good job with ADUs though. We do have a facilitated streamlined process for ADUs, but for getting a housing development to keep up with our growth, we're nowhere near what we need to be doing. I don't know if that's, that. I, I try not to like become totally bitter about Asheville, but it's, uh, yeah. um, when you see the numbers, it, it's kind of frustrating.
5: Yeah, I think we, we're kind of similar, tell the truth. Very similar.
6: One of the other questions I had was, as far as executing on some of the next steps that you proposed, um, I mean, in my mind, there's things um, like changes to the zoning ordinance, there are things like a master plan. What other, I guess, tools or levers in your experience can be pulled? Um, you know, which ones should be maybe pulled before others um, based on some of the stuff you're recommending? Um, just kind of curious what you would suggest.
1: Um, other than those, let me, let me just share this real quick. I, I, I speak in pictures. Um, This is a little bit more complicated, but it'll, it'll draw. I'm, I'm going to show maybe some simpler ways to do this, but let's see, share screen. Um, this is a, a model of, of Eugene, Oregon. And uh, let's
4: go to full screen.
1: So if you are to look at its productivity model, this is what its productivity model looks like. And you can see downtown, you can see that the campus and then on the other side of the campus is the, the college town. And if you were to say, okay, one of the things that, that we did with them was looking at the costing side as well. So this is floating the whole city and the lake and looking at the revenues above the waterline and below the waterline is the sunk costs. And then we netted one against the other. So um, what's what's net positive is in the black and what's net negative is in the red. And what's nice about with, with Eugene, the, re, the reason why they did this, one is they were considering expanding their growth boundary, but they also saw this as a public education campaign. So if you look at the top of the model, this is what it looks like and what's in the black is sticking up. And if you crawl under the model, if you lift this thing up and look under the model, you can see the spread of subsidy across the whole model. So knowing your revenues you already know your revenues we've given you some of the costing side of looking at your roads but I would take the next level of your pipes all this you want to look at the long-term effect of this and not just what your capital projects are because chances are you don't have the reserve account to pay for all the roads that you have most cities don't keep a reserve account for that stuff you just go out and bond new money but um when you look at their 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 buildings this is a I call this the Brady Bunch slide you've got residential across the top, low density, medium density, high density, mixed use, low, medium, and high, commercial, low, medium, and high, and you can see the sticker prices. Now, obviously, I understand the political ramifications when you put something like this out there, because most of us, most people in this room live in a single-family detached house, and this is sort of inflammatory to people. And it's like, well, it's true. There's a reason why we all bought into this, and it's because our government is set up in a way to facilitate that type of pattern. Don't have a problem with that. I have a problem is when you have 80% of your land use in subsidy. So this is where it becomes a problem. Now you can start to mend that with the ADUs because you're essentially making sort of a duplex, if you will. But the other thing is what they did is they used this as a sort of a device to say, okay, um, definitely do more stuff downtown. Um, so if you go back to the model, and if you look to the North of the model, you can see this thing called Crescent Village. Um, And they just basically amended their comp plan to make four more areas of that new growth to happen. So they removed their impact fees. They did everything they could to just clear the decks for that new growth. They also didn't expand their growth boundary. Some of the stuff that they did just wasn't so sexy that I'd recommend doing is something like sewer pipes. Not all that fun to talk about, but this is a map of their different. Are are, Are you guys dealing with sewers right now?
5: Yeah.
1: So this this is a this is a map of all of their sewer basins. So each of these different colors on here is its own trunk system. So as far as I'm concerned, you can just grab any one of those colors and separate it from the system because it's all basically its own individual package, if you will. When I was talking to the engineer, I said, "Well, when everybody flushes their toilet, do they all pay the same rate?" He said, "Yeah, that's fair." I said, "Okay, so it's totally fair." And he's like, "Yeah." And I said, "Okay." So This pink thing right here is a lift station. So this neighborhood on the north side has eight lift stations. And so I said to the engineer, each of those lift stations costs a million dollars a pop and you all spend $50,000 a year per lift station to, to maintain each of those lift stations. They're expensive. So that neighborhood has $20 million worth of infrastructure. There's this neighborhood down here on the south side doesn't. It doesn't seem all that fair to get all that extra infrastructure for free. And he was just sort of taken aback by that. And I was I was being provocative because I wanted him to think through that sometimes we inherit these systems and we just don't think that there's they could affect things. Um, to drill in a little bit deeper, these are two neighborhoods near downtown. Um, and to just give you an idea of their um, their pattern, you can see how uh, the neighborhood on, I'll get to the chart here. The the neighborhood on the right has um, double the dwelling units on half the length of pipe. So the the feet of pipe per capita is four times more on the left than the right. When you look at the the tax value, you're getting way more tax production out of the right versus the left. And the engineer goes, well, we don't care about the taxes because we charge an enterprise fund. And I said, well, how do you pay for your parks department or your city attorney? That's out of property taxes, you should care about property taxes and it's again it's we tend to governments work really well in efficiency is a bureaucracy, but when the silos don't communicate this is where you see the problems and then at the end down here at the bottom of it, it costs two times as much to service um, half the dwelling units on the left versus the right. So when people say I like having a big yard, I like to have some room around me, it's like, we got to realize that there's a cost to that. And just be honest with the taxpayer and say like, yeah, it's like, I want to eat pizza every single day. That would make me happy. But there's a cost to my heart if I eat pizza every single day. Um, So it's just, you all have to deal with the budgetary decisions of what people desire. And I think that it's just be fair with the citizens so they understand it. But that would be my next step is to just, interrogate some of the costs and see if there's um some of the buggy math in there that are basically working to undermine some of the stuff that you're trying to achieve
6: and that'd be actually something i'd be curious to hear more about from council as well is um i guess what if anything we could be doing as planning commission to be more helpful with some of the things that we just talked about, um, because I mean, ultimately, we can—I think—we'd be in a position to help drive some of this, um, but want to make sure we're aligning with your priorities as well.
5: Affordable or attainable housing throughout our community. Period. Um, we are. We just don't have enough. And I think that's a high priority. And I think as we're revisiting the master plan, we need to take that into consideration. One of the things I don't wanna see, which exists today, is those that are at or below poverty level are all collected together in certain areas of our town. And it shouldn't be that way. We're a community and everybody needs to be included.
2: I think the other aspect of that is that, you know, the past couple of years aside, the property appreciation has not really, in Midland, has not come anywhere near to what's happened in the rest of the country. You know, the value, if you look at it maybe from 2000, but you go back even before that, it is a very slow growth. We've had a little bit of a spike, which kind of helps make it look better, but, you know, there's almost any other area of the country. If you've bought a house, you know, it, it's doubling or tripling in value, whereas here, it just isn't. You know, I, people come from other, other places, and I tell them, you know, buy a house that's going to meet your needs. Don't buy it as an investment in this city or in this county, certainly in this county. Uh, it's just not happening. So we've got a tension between people who do buy a home and, it's, and, and, and kind of based on what else is happening in the country, expect the appreciation and aren't really getting it, but on the other hand, we've got the, the affordability problem too, because there's but it's all it's all relative because housing, even our rental units are cheap relative to the rest of the country too. so it depends on what you're comparing yourself against. You know, people in California would kill to get the kind of rental rates and and, 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 and things that we have here. but nonetheless, we don't have the salaries to support that either. so there is You've got to be careful in, in talking about what's, you know, what's attainable, what's affordable, and what's not, because I think we're giving up something on the single-family home appreciation, which is helping people on the on the rental units. But everything you got to kind of throw out the last couple of years because rentals have really escalated uh, as as home values appreciated too. So
3: I think what we found is that there were I think people had more cash and they realized that they were not paying a lot for their home, and they went out and bought bigger homes outside of the city because yeah. we don't have property to build on, and then they turned their house into a rental here, and, yeah. which they're not reinvesting in, which used to be the way it always worked, when people would be investing, investing in their home, homes. and they weren't going and saying, okay, I'm now gonna go build myself a big home and you know, keep, keep this and you know, rent it, and, because yeah. it's another source of income. And so I think that people have, who have that ability to do that you know have been doing that and i think the housing study shows that also and i think that that's really important i think as we move forward that we you know we think about that housing study and what that really means you know and and hopefully we can create you know some kind of zoning things where we can encourage people to reinvest in their in their yeah. own properties and so you know when i think about you know parking lots and all of that i think yeah you know, I understand that, um, I understand the conflict with that, and I, and I think, well, gee, I wonder if we would have said to Walmart, yep, you can build your store, but you got to build a parking structure and not a parking lot. And how does could is that something we can think about as we think about, you know, I'm sure that they wouldn't be too hot on that as it relates to building costs today, but you know, I think how do we really, how do we look at that? Because I think we should think about how do we increase value within the city itself? And there's challenges with that because of our weather, you know. We have a winter where you you don't have that in Nashville. You you know, you can. There's different things you can do. You don't have to worry about how many cars are parked in the parking um, driveway because you can't park on the streets because we have to shovel the streets. So there, so there's we have some unique challenges, and we just have to recognize what those are, and be thoughtful about it, and just say what is it that what can we do? What can we accomplish? How do we help set ourselves up? You know, for future success, and that doesn't even take into, to the thought process. I think all of the things that have happened because of people working from home now, and in bus- the whole business, you know, structure changing. I think there's a lot to think about. Um, and,
2: but I do think if you, you know, we spent Joe spent a lot of time on the parking yeah. issue, and I, I do think that we've got to do certainly look at some of our ordinances or, or, or requirements on. What kind of parking we do require? Right. You know, some of the smaller businesses, you know, are are fine. It's really these, these asphalt, you know, acres and acres of asphalt, which, you know, don't add value. But not only do don't add value, but they add runoff, which right. is a which is a problem we're dealing with here in the you know in the city, uh, going back to the sewer problem. Uh, you know, all that pavement is is not helping way anyway, it's costing apparently from an economic perspective it's costing us from a from an infrastructure perspective as well and I think that's the other part as we look at development it's making sure that we've got the stuff below the ground to support it right um, it's easy to add on and add on and at some point in time the oldest stuff is 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 is, is a problem
3: well as I think if we think about the downtown I, you know I of a proponent of giving that of uh, the fact that we... You know, I know people are upset that they can't park in front of their, where they go, you know, they want to shop and they can't park in front there. But I think we need to... Th- and I know our parking structure has cost us money. I know it's not been something that has been... Uh, uh, well, it's cost us money, let me yeah. just say that. But I think we need to think about that and how we do that and then how we manage that parking downtown. Um, because I think there is opportunities for growth in our downtown. And I think that that you know that increase of that increasing density increases a lot of other things you know that comes along with that. But when you look think we're the fifth largest city by area in the state of Michigan, you know we got a lot of room we can grow in, and we have to kind of you know adjust our mindsets around that, I think.
2: Yeah I think we have to be careful too of adding that the ballpark parking lot into the equation. I think you're just not going to culturally nobody's going to park on the far side of the, of the Ball Diamonds to go shop downtown, it, not, in this, not in this area. It's just, it's just the demand is not there. Uh, you've got too many other alternatives. So that's why I said you have to be careful as we look at how we, how we look at what parking is truly available to looking at what parking is mm-hmm. truly available. Uh, from a, you know, yeah, in a bigger city, maybe that would be something that you would walk to, but in Midland, it's just, it's not going to happen.
6: That ball diamond parking, it could be an opportunity, too, for um, could we do something else with that? If it was but but so they use it during the games,
2: right? So it's it's one of those situations where there are times when that lot fills up, right? When they've got a game, that lot fills up. And so they do need that kind of parking during a game.
3: But did I just hear you say, though, a different kind of parking rather than a sprawl parking? I mean, is that space, could that have been a parking structure? Well, I'm sure we thought about it, but we probably went, oh, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And it's sometimes we have to just think about what is the cost and manage that cost with what that means for the future for us also. So, yeah. I would just
5: that is box and be creative. Just because we've done something the same way for years and years doesn't mean that's gonna work for the future. And we've talked a lot about downtown, but also look at the old like Kmart area, right? Reimagine, what can that look like? Redevelop 10 years from now or go the next block over. Okay, back when I came here, it was the old A.M.P. I don't know yeah. what all's back there now. I think they're- um,
2: Where the Lasko's is, yeah. in that plaza? Yeah.
5: yeah, where Lasko's is. I mean, if you look around our town, there are pockets that I think should be a priority for redevelopment versus mm-hmm. letting it sit there. I mean, even look at the ball area. Um, the parking lot there is horrible. And it's not kept up, and you know it's like we can scream and scream and scream, but you know, hmm, let's start being creative and figuring out you know hmm, how can we partner with those owners, and uh, turn it into something that's valuable for our community.
6: So you mentioned Lasco as being one of the pockets. What are some of the others that you've noticed?
5: Kmart, Midland Mall, anywhere down Joe Man where there used to be a business Mm -hmm. that is now vacant.
8: There's a whole area, kind of where man cave is, behind oh, yeah. in through Cambridge. I mean, right. I, I just yeah. went there to get a haircut for the first time. It looks there's good. A too.
6: Whole, <laughs>
8: there's a whole, there's a whole acres of parking with these small little yeah. buildings there that just mm-hmm. begs redevelopment of some sort. I mean, I don't. Yeah, know It's what just to dis- do with very disjointed. It. Yeah, it's. It probably is a carryover from when that was a circle, but, right? Uh, right. Yeah. And
3: because it was a it was a thriving shopping center yeah. at at one point in time. But now, if you look at the vacant buildings there, I mean, how does zoning, um, how does our zoning prohibit you know certain things that could possibly go in there, you know? That, because that is a great yeah. place. That is a great place to live because it's very walkable. No, I, I live
8: in that rough center city area, and it's one of the few places that could be walkable.
7: Mm-hmm.
8: It actually, downtown, you can't walk to a grocery store. because There is grocery no grocery store, but. <laughs> uh, you know, you can't, uh, but uh, that whole, you know, that, if you want a place that's walkable, and it's walkable to some apartment, you know, dense, but it's also walkable to a lot of neighborhoods of older but single family dwellings, mm-hmm. long, uh, Uh, you know, like near Ashman, Boston, moving the other way, uh, uh, you know, Mill Street and some of those others. That that to me is where a lot of finesse development could happen to, on one hand, preserve that, uh, but develop it as a walkable community that still isn't ultra-high Density kind right. of place it, where a, a young family of two, not six, could have a house. And up until recently, you could get into a livable house for a hundred thousand dollars in that kind of area.
3: I think that. Well, I think it is a huge opportunity, and I think it's an opportunity that's beginning to present itself too, as we think about that whole center city area. What's going to happen after you know we get done between uh, Dartmouth and Patrick? And as we look at that, yeah. we have to, and you know, we can't think about it just cars. We have to really think about how that oh, can man. be, you know, a, a very vibrant place. And it does mean that you know we we have to. You know some folks are going to have to give up some stuff, but I think we really need to be very thoughtful about what we do there and as we think about you know the street yeah. and all of that to to enhance that that area because there is a it's a it's a great opportunity and
2: But I think you also think about how you know some of those uh, buildings in there they didn't get the Walmart memo about it being thirty yeah. years and you know torn yeah. down uh, yeah. <laughs> <yeah. laughs> yeah. there. They're not in the greatest of shape. And so you look, as, as that area it should be redeveloped, what kind of, of, of codes should we have in place in terms of what the structure should look like? Because one of the things that got kind of weird is with, you know, and, and I hear it all the time, you probably do too, about the buildings in the downtown development being built so close to the, to the street, you know, right? And, you know, and I had this conversation with Grant and, and try to get the picture of, of what was envisioned was you know kind of the old neighborhoods where you'd walk down the sidewalk and you'd have a different storefront every you know twenty feet, every fifty feet. But but what ends up getting built is things that don't have any they're, they're, they're you know they're, they're a span so a span of glass or concrete or, you know, whether you look at the old chemical city building even that's down on Main Street or the Trinzio building or you know, even even frankly, First State Bank, which is you know a, a, an entity of itself, but still, it's not that. Those kinds of things, or Eider's Insurance Building. You know, you got one yeah. surface that's just hard surface all the way across. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. make sense to have that kind of a of a of a of a restrictive downtown requirement that you build so close. If you're going to not going to build a building that's that, that fits with it, and I think as we look at Saginaw Road, we've kind of unfortunately gone down this path. I mean, uh, you know, you could make the same argument for Pathfinder Commons too, with the apartments aren't really something that you go into off of um, well, we the Indianer can... rebuttals. But but on Saginaw Road, if we're going to redo that, let's let's figure out not just how the, you know, but what what do we want those businesses to look like? I mean, it's it's really imposing a lot more restrictions than we currently have, I think, in terms of what those buildings are going to look like so that it is something that makes you want to walk down it.
3: So, Joe, I guess we have Joe here as as an expert. So, I mean, we are not the only city that is going through this, and I'm sure you see lots more places like that. So, what, you know, kind of guidance might you have for us as we start moving forward and thinking about, okay, we have these pockets that we could do stuff with but how
1: do we do it and do it right? Well, that wasn't in the scope. It's gonna cost you extra. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, Oh, just
3: wing it, Joe.
1: Yeah, just wing it. Uh, you know, it's gonna depend. I mean, y- y'all have talked about several different areas and each each area is gonna be a different type of surgery. You know, it's gonna be, um, you know, I'm hearing the, the comment about the endless walls. There's some cities adopt different differentiation uh, standards where the, the facade has to differentiate more of what you find on a main street, um, getting rid of minimum lot sizes. Why have them? Most of them were set up. Um, you know, I'm just going to be honest. Most of them were set up either because of racism or classism that they remove the ability for people to do small footprint houses and small mom and pop stores. So if you have a minimum lot size standard, why get rid of it? so that's going to be a different that's going to allow a different form of economic opportunity for people because you can buy a smaller plot of land and try to do something um you know so it's just there, there's going to be a lot of different things you're going to have to go through um and, and this is all awesome conversation that y'all are having um because you're you're thinking this through and and again I would just I'd I'd write all everything down you've got you've got your minutes I'd write each one of them down because they're going to they're going to be addressing different um uh, different issues. Um, you know, obviously you have a planning staff that that probably could answer a a good chunk of these, uh, that you've, that you've, you've you've asked as well, but there's going to be different tools that you're going to bring to the table and different types of analyses, but going through and questioning why are, why do things look the way they do is the, is the first step. Did did that help? Mm -hmm.
7: Yes. Madam Mayor, I would just add a comment that one of the things when City Modern was launched, um, we explained, we as staff explained to council, um, was that we were really going to reimagine, re-examine, kind of question everything. And it was for the int- express purpose of saying, are we heading in the right direction or what is it that we're really missing? Um, and this is one element of the plan. This is one study that's been completed uh, with the documentation and the information that Joe and his team have been presenting to us intended to say, really here's here's another way of looking at some of the the arguments that we hear because you all heard it, we've had arguments against investing in the downtown and why do you continue to put money in downtown and you see why. So when you have discussions about, well, why do you fund a parking deck? Well, the returns that come from that, you offset those and you weigh those. So the planning commission, really the charge to them is get out of the box, really, quite frankly. Let's look at all the different things that can be done Don't throw away what we've done well, but uh, also don't be afraid to question everything that's been done as we move forward. So it's a big challenge. Um, It's going to be a challenge at the community level. Um, It's not easy when you start talking about ADUs, like Joe mentioned. Um, That is something that people hold on strongly to. I want my minimum 60, 80 foot lot, whatever it might be with my single family home and my garage, whether attached or detached on it, but don't put anybody in any of those accessory dwellings uh, on structures around me. And so that's a mindset and a philosophy change that needs to take place. And um, it starts with policy Mm -hmm. and that starts with discussion that leads to policy more importantly. So it'll be a big, big process. And these discussions you all had tonight are going to be important. We've committed as well from staff that the planning commission and city council will touch base uh, throughout this process. And tonight was one of those intentions.
3: Great. I mean, I think we've got a lot of exciting things ahead of us, and it's not, it's just going to be challenging, and it's, and it's going to be an opportunity for us to all learn a lot more and to go and, you know, come back with things that we see and share and say, you know, what about this? And how do we do it? But I think we also need to know that that is not an endless, I don't think we have an endless timeline either, for sure. I think we have to be thoughtful and we have to start moving ahead because, you know, we have to quit, we have to plan for a a certain And then we have to start really doing it, and at some, we need to get moving.
5: So Can I have one more comment.: too? Sure. This is another challenge for you. When I came here, and I think I've shared this before, which was many years ago, my age was the average age. Today, my age is still the average <laughs> <Ridge> age, age. <laughs> in the city of Midland. Yeah. Which means we need to start attracting folks. So as you're going through all of this, what is it going to take to attract that next generation here?
2: But don't kick Diane to the side. <laughs> you, the side. you know what? <laughs> I am going to step aside. <laughs> it just add to that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so
7: I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Joe, I think this is the conclusion of the contract that we have uh, with Urban Three. So um, if you have any final questions for Joe, get them out tonight because after that. Uh, uh, he'll deliver the final report to us and we'll be done with that.
5: So. Don't forget the article you said you'd send.
7: Yeah. Catch that, Joe? Oh,
1: I, didn't, I didn't hear that, don't forget the what?
7: <laughs> Councilman Brown will so not have to forget the article you said you would send to us. On the Public Wealth Fund. Wealth oh, funds. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, Public Wealth Fund, definitely. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and, and you all know how to find us. Uh, let us know if there's more that we can do to help. Um, and uh, this is all recorded and and you have these the video and the story, if you will, on, on why it matters. We tend to see this as is for, a form of um, uh, transparency or economic equity that pe- or in, uh, information equity that people can now see what's going on and get past their biases of what they think the economics are of a city. So um, hopefully this will help. Um, steal our graphics. We can send you all of it all of it as a PDF file um, and as an image file. And uh, I also want to thank Leah. For uh, working on this uh, and and creating all of these beautiful graphics and um, thank you all for your time.
3: Yeah, yeah. Thank you. and I guess you did you did mention strong towns. I think we're many of us are familiar with that and we have read that stuff. And I don't know if there's anything else that you recommend out there. You know, sometimes it's just helpful to have a resource to go to. Um,
1: yeah, Chuck, Chuck's uh, blog, strong towns. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's. He's a little bit more brutal about it than yeah, I am. Yeah, he, I've he wrote, read him. Yeah,
3: he
1: is. He, he wrote two books. One is, and in it, he covers the, he calls it the growth Ponzi scheme. Um, mm-hmm. He's sort of right. You know, we've been sold a bill, a promise, if you will, and no one, no one told us the long-term costs and consequences of that promise. Right. So um, another, another book that I'd recommend is uh, Richard Thaler's book. He was, he won a Nobel Prize in economics. His name. The book is called Misbehaving. And I think it's a very good book for policy implications. And uh, he, he's famous for, he calls it the nudge theory. You just wanna nudge things forward. Don't worry about the Hail Mary pass. Um, you know, you, you, you win the football game by getting first downs. In um, baseball and Moneyball, you you win by getting on base, not the home runs. So um, it's just be aware this is a mindset shift, a mindset shift that you're gonna be going through. Okay. But yeah, just let us know if there's anything more we can do for you and know where to find us. And thank you all for your time. Yeah,
3: thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Got any more comments, sir? Uh,
7: not from us, Jacob, I don't know yeah. if you have anything to add, or Ryan.
4: None for me, looking forward to digging in and uh, making progress on City Modern.
3: Great.
2: I wanna hear about the mistakes that Mount Pleasant made. <laughs>
4: <laughs> i'm sure if you asked around you'd find a few but uh, least <laughs> some really good some, ideas too that's why we stole brought them proud of you. also <laughs> some valuable experience to apply to the project okay.
3: mm-hmm. yeah so did did mount pleasant do a master plan we,
7: we did yeah
4: adopted in 2020 Whoa. okay
7: we've also been pretty aggressive on parking standards uh, particularly eliminated completely citywide yep and lifted our
4: overnight wintertime parking prohibition. So to your really? comment on, yep, completely. Also just prevented <laughs> snow from falling. Okay, <laughs> I just how that was out. working. Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah so a few, uh, uh, several code changes that I think um, we could, I've learned from that we
2: can apply that learning here. Okay. So you left, you left it to the business owners to decide how much parking they wanted to put in? Yes, sir.
3: Really? Business and apartments and?
4: We, um, the city um, does not require parking for any use in any district under any circumstance. Hmm. People still build too much parking.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so, wow. So we'll that's, good, a, that's a lot of <laughs> nudging my mindset a little bit.
5: <laughs> so, okay. what ordinances did you have in place for on street parking? Is it seven by twenty
4: four seven uh, yeah so the um yeah city of mount pleasant uh, at one point had a um five or six month window where overnight on street parking was prohibited mm-hmm. i think it was october to april the school year okay. <laughs> uh it was close i think uh that was shortened uh, in 2015 mm-hmm. to december to april and then that was lifted and converted to a snow emergency ordinance in 2020 or 21 okay. 2020 because okay. it's been through two winters mm-hmm. so essentially unless a snow emergency is declared which one has not been to date um, unless I missed something in the last couple of weeks <laughs> mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I'm still living there so I'm pretty sure that hasn't happened but uh, in any event uh, in a snow emergency you do have to remove your car until your street is plowed mm-hmm. um, but we anticipated at the time of adoption it'd be four inches or more mm-hmm. um, and probably a heavier snow um, where getting into the gutter pan was more necessary okay. so mm-hmm. interesting. yeah probably just made some enemies in public services by saying that we had to we had dragged some of our street staff into being open-minded to trying mm-hmm. a program like that. Um, and ultimately, we, we were able to get them there. You just don't simply see much snow in this region, even though it does snow more than Asheville. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it, seemed, it seemed silly to preclude folks from accessing that public amenity. Mm-hmm. Um, for one or two times every five years, where we truly needed full street access for plowing. Okay.
3: So how does that? Can, can I? Can we keep talking here for? We got like sure. five minutes. So how does that work though? Yeah. When you're trying to have bike lanes? As
4: I was gonna say your contract with me doesn't end at nine. <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> better be careful what I say. Okay. But um, uh, well, I just simply on a street with bike lanes, if there's no on-street parking, there's no on-street parking. I mean, that would okay. any existing. Uh, you know fire lane you know hydrant too close to corner all those things still still exist um just like those parking spots couldn't be parked in during the day either um it's just simply that overnight prohibition we just treated all on-street parking the same as we treated it during the day in the summer or during the night in the summer um and just looked at it like when do we really need this and we just didn't have the snow event data to justify having Mm-hmm. that uh you know blunt of an instrument to handle a very really limited issue okay.
3: That's interesting
7: so Madam Mayor, just before you adjourn just for the record we should note that we did not have a quorum of the planning commission here this evening so um it won't constitute an official meeting for the planning commission it okay. will of course for the planner for the city council as well but Okay. Um, so there won't you guys actually won't have to do minutes and all that kind of stuff because although you listened in on the council meeting, you didn't formally hold a meeting yourself. So just for the record. Yeah. So, all right.
3: Well, you know. We thank
2: you that did come. Yes. Yeah. yeah thank you yes. for the
3: conversation, and for the opportunity, and the questions. And you know, hopefully we'll we'll have more of these as we move forward. And it's you know, it really, it's a very exciting time for us. It's it's really an opportunity to be creative and to you know help set the stage for many years to come. It's it's important work.
2: Yeah. Andrew, thanks for that question about what the Planning Commission can do with mm-hmm. you know the city council to make sure that we are aligned. Because <clears throat> that I don't think that question gets asked yeah. enough.
6: Yeah. Well yeah and I I mean more than anything I, I think the thing I took away from the presentation is that I mean we've talked at, at Planning Commission of just in general wanting to get what can we do to get more input from the community? Um, and so part of that was like, hey, we haven't talked to city council about this. Um, so that's why I was, it was, we, you know, having hearing from Brad and from the planning staff of wanting to do this more often, but even possibly extending that to things like the county or the Public Schools or, you know, yeah. fill in the blank. We've had some conversations at Planning Commission about how do we get more of that public input. Make sure to your point that we're, we're all aligned. So, I, I really would like to do more of these. This has been really helpful tonight.
8: Just a second, that I think one of the next meetings we should have is maybe with the Housing Authority. Mm-hmm. So. There's one. a bunch of you know, we have housing issues, but the population's not growing, so there's some shifting or. Something like that going on that I don't understand right. that uh, needs to be included in the, or addressed in the plan. Yeah.
2: yeah, his data shows that the population yeah. grew 10%. Why are we in such a different state of affairs than we were in 1970? Yeah,
8: with respect to housing, and, <laughs> and I think I, I got a little bit of insight from uh, Mayor Donker's comment, but uh, uh, and just looking at things from a selfish point of view, you know getting on to 70, looking to get into a more retirement situation, but with one or two exceptions, they're all way out in the middle of nowhere.
2: We're kicking right. you to the side. Yeah. Right. But, right. You
8: know, there's some shifting going on in the demographics around housing that uh, somebody may understand, but I don't. And it uh, should be addressed, in, uh, I think, in. The master plan has got to figure into that yeah
6: Well, thank you steve and thank you council as well for giving us the opportunity to to hear this presentation with you as well so it was it was a privilege and um i'm and again looking forward to doing more of it so appreciate it
3: all right anything else okay then we're adjourned thank you <laughs>